the minute you do that to me, then all bets are off. And I don't literally give a shit what happens next because I will go to your boss and I will go to that boss and I will go to anybody that will listen and tell them what you did because I am absolutely 100% sure in my convictions that everything you just said to me was fucked up and wrong and I did literally nothing to deserve that. So if I'm confident enough in my convictions that that is the case, then you're fucked, I'm going. From Soho Media Club, this is Naked Stories a series taking you into the inner world of the media industry where prejudice and glass ceilings are laid bare. Stories that are hard to tell out in the open but have the power to change the future. Produced by PRL Studio, I'm Roses Okipo. Welcome to episode one, Changing Rooms. Diversity is being invited to the party. Inclusion is being asked to dance. Vera Myers. Today we meet Orchid. She is a film producer with credits in a number of well-known British and Hollywood films. To keep her anonymous, Orchid is the fake name I chose for her. The experiences she's about to share are as real as it gets. Orchid was born in Northwest London to parents from very different ethnic backgrounds. Her mum was a homemaker, who'd grown up in Camden Town. Her dad, a journalist, was from the Middle East. Uh, and so growing up, I had a Cockney and an Arab in the house, uh, which also, some I think, explains why my accent's a bit muddled as well. We grew up in a, in a suburb of London where there were quite a few families like our family. Uh, we weren't really in sort of a mega white and only white um, area. There were there, We grew up with lots of lots of kids who were who were Asian or mixed race or black um, or from you know and other ethnic minorities as well and it just seemed quite normal uh, we lived in a very sort of diverse neighborhood and went to a very diverse primary school like many children with at least one non-uk born parent it was normal for orchid to have two languages spoken in the house because of her parents' different backgrounds, which harmoniously blended into one, her outlook on the rest of the world was through a double lens containing heritage and culture. Having a diverse home grounds you in diversity and it makes you sort of at ease um, at a very early age with that. And the one thing that I realised as I was growing up was that there are lots of people who don't know that and therefore are not at ease with that. For Orchid, it was a quotidian reality to have a foreign dad that for a long time she thought that every household had a foreign dad. Escaping the destruction of war in his hometown, Orchid's dad arrived in the UK as an immigrant. At first sight, you probably wouldn't describe him as a refugee in the way that we think of refugees today. He came on a plane, dressed in a suit, with a job waiting for him he was a refugee nonetheless, in search of a better future. He didn't want to stay in the UK, but he fell in love with Orchid's mum and reluctantly settled here. The thing is, the UK didn't feel like his home, and he was often reminded that, in fact, it wasn't. Because her mum is white English, Orchid's skin is fair-coloured. I, to a lot of people, sort of pass. 
But my dad doesn't pass. My dad is quite clearly a foreign man. Um, and I think that there are the, the small things that you would see people maybe follow him around shops more or people um, talk to him in a harsher tone than they would to my mother, for example. I just think that I thought people just personally didn't like my dad, maybe. I I, like When you're a kid, you don't go, oh, that's because that man is a bloody racist. I never saw race as an issue, or it was never seen to be an issue until I got older and was very much aware when I moved into secondary school that actually it is an issue for a lot of people. For Orchid, primary school went by without any major setbacks. When it was time to move on to secondary school, she was fortunate enough to attend private education through a bursary scheme. But that's also when things started to change and the nightmare began. So in 1997, I was 11 years old and I went to the, the what would be the next five years of hell. It was during her secondary school years that Orchid realised that she had no interest in boys, if you know what I mean. She became aware that her family weren't as well off as most of her peers, who also scrutinised her appearance, mainly her size. Sadly, people throw rocks at things that shine, and as many of us know, kids can be little shits. Those people then see that you don't have that, see that as a weakness, see that you're overweight, that you're definitely a bit gay, you don't like boys, you can't afford the same shit they have, you're less than. And also, they're just as messed up in their own way. So, of course, you're an easy target. And then that takes the heat off them a little bit, doesn't it? Kids are absolutely cruel. Um, and I think going to an all-girls school, when you're chubby, burgeoning lesbian, who's got you know a family who's not the wealthiest, and you're not a stick-thin, white, rich girl, I am so not these people. For Orchid, watching the 1997 box office hit, Titanic, cemented a reality which couldn't have been further from the on-screen Hollywood romance we all saw. Yeah, so Celine Dion with the fucking panpipe music at the beginning, you know, that those first few panpipe bars. I and then well. Yeah, and then my heart... So I would hear that pretty much every day as I'd walk into, into school because uh, every girl was losing their mind over this film and Leonardo DiCaprio and this fucking song. Everyone had like a post of Leonardo DiCaprio, it seemed, on their lockers. And I, not that I ever had a, I didn't have a picture of anybody, but really if I was to, you know, it was Kate Winslet all the way because she's, she's fit. Um, but that's a problem because I was like, oh shit, I... I really am not into this dude at all, but she is, she's, yeah. And, you know, at 11, where she's like, draw me like your French girls. What? We all have experiences from our childhood, which we are still dealing with well into our adulthood. Experiences which can be suppressed, but not eliminated, and which have shaped us as adults. Orchid spoke candidly about her memories of being in a changing room of bullies, a scene laced with homophobia, Orchid recounted the experience as if it were yesterday. After like a hockey match or something at school, you'd go, we all had a large changing room that you change into. And I would have to play hockey like everyone else and do this like everyone else. And then you'd come in afterwards and you all have to get changed together. Trust me, as an overweight kid, you don't want to be 
getting changed in front of anybody anyway. Especially as a young teenage woman who's just like awkward and messed up. and um, So you don't want that. But you, you're made to do that. And then some people get the impression that you're a bit gay. And that's disgusting. Because that's also the climate that I was growing up in was that it wasn't okay. It was pretty gross. And a lot of those girls who came from sort of more Christian and Catholic backgrounds were told that it was also sinful. You can't be in this room with us because that's gross. In one, in, a, in one aspect, you kind of go, okay, thank God I don't have to get changed in front of these people. But on the other hand, you go, I'm not allowed to get changed in front of these people. I'm not, I'm not part. It's, the, it's, the, it's a running thing that happens when you are something different to what the majority is, which mm. is you're not really welcome. Yeah, you're allowed to be here, but go over there. So school really set me off in that direction of understanding that I was probably going to be on the back foot for quite a long time. And so, just like that, Orchid's tweenhood turned into a daily torment. Dealing with bullies, well, it's more enduring their taunts, it's traumatic, and the scars stay with us for life. You just look at everyone like they're lying. You're liars and I can't trust you can't trust you yet you're really i can be no no really no i don't i don't believe you no there's a lot of things like that that you have to build a trust you're also just so scared you're going to be disappointed again or that you're going to be let down again or be judged again for things that really you know what the fuck does my sexuality matter to anybody what the fuck does my race matter to anybody it shouldn't despite the difficulties Orchid recognised her strength and stuck to her core. She excelled in creative subjects at school and with the help of an art teacher, got a place at an art college where she could start to peel off her armour and slowly expose her true self. The transition from school to college was a positive turning point in Orchid's life. She had found her safe place. I then finished my GCSEs and managed to get into, through the help of an art teacher who pushed me in the direction of a certain college, who sort of took in kids that had difficult times at school for X, Y, Z reasons, who were more interested in the arts. And and it was run by an artist and his wife. Um, And I went to that college and that's where life really began because I was with people who would like me, were a lot more like me, and it was a safe place to be myself. It was actually encouraged. I've never been encouraged, apart from by my parents, for the first time in this facility, who where also, by the way, it was a lot more diverse in general, where there were people of, of different races and religions and sexualities all there together, one common cause, which is that they wanted to learn to be an artist or work in media, etc., etc., um, they they didn't make me feel like I was weird. They made me feel like I was welcome and normal. And that's where everyone excels. Inspiration is one of the most important gifts a teacher can provide students. And this was a pivotal point of Orchid's college life. One thing was that one of my film teachers was a lesbian and she was from America. She opened our eyes up to feminism in film, the uh, Laura Mulvey's male gaze theorem, Jermaine Greer and the female eunuch, 
how women are portrayed in cinema, how the lack of female directors, but here are some female directors, look at how starkly different their work is to a male director's work. Look at how women are treated in films. Look at what what they are. Look at how gay people are treated in films. Like, I really, it's only been the last 10, 15 years where I've seen films about gay couples where at the end they're still alive. There's so many films out there that are about being gay or being a lesbian, but they have to pay a price at the end for that. And that's usually one of them getting offed and then the other one just living alone forever. What was that environment like? You want to kiss girls, kiss girls. If you don't want to kiss girls, fine. If you're if you're gay, great. If you're not gay, also great. Everything that you've been told is a problem is not a problem here. Just, you know, do what you love. Don't be an asshole. Um, and that's it. People not caring about stuff like that was wonderful. For so long, Orchid had guarded herself, fearful of what people would say or what would happen if they saw she was gay. But that safe place was home to her coming out and the beginning of lifelong friendships. People that I went to that college with are people I still know now. Uh, One of my dearest friends in the entire world, I met there and we came out there. And she was one of the first people I ever came out to. You find your tribe, as it were, and your tribe isn't one race, one sex, one gender, one religion. It's many, many people. The legendary on-screen gay kiss in Brookside inspired Orchid to be fearless about revealing her sexuality. But in the noughties, being gay was demonised. It was thought of as disgusting. So, to be in a safe place and not hide anymore was liberating. Walking up to Starbucks, we're just chatting some bullshit. We sit down... Uh, we, were talking about, we were talking about something. It was probably after our, a film class with our teacher and it was probably something to do with females that was in conversation. Um, and I, you know, this, this was a friend who also kind of knew and was like, mm. and then you just go, I, I just went, you know, oh, fuck it, mate, I think I am. And then she was just like, cool, yeah. I was like, oh, okay. And then... You go, okay, fuck, that was the first one. And she just literally didn't give a shit. She was like, cool. And that's what you want. How I have to use my sexuality and my gender. I have to use it always in the back of my head as something that I need to protect. Maybe it was because of the miserable time Orchid went through. She learned how to not give any fucks about what others said. Because at the end of the day, what others think about you is none of your business. If only life was as straightforward as just coming out. We have layers of complexity and people respond in different ways to those layers. Orchid's sexuality began as contempt. It developed into empowerment and then it was the thing that became her shield. I'm made quite aware that some men look at you as something they want as opposed to just a human being or what can they get out of you or what can they do to you or what could you do to them so I just wanted to get that out early it's also a sort of a safety mechanism to also tell certain people you can't touch me or please don't try or leave me alone I'm not part of your game part of your team or whatever 
you know, using my then my sexuality sort of became a, a sort of a shield. And my strategy was in order to get in a room and stay in the room with the men, I've got to be like the men. And what do I have in common with these men? Nothing but the fact that we're all attracted to women. So that's how I managed to survive that, was by being one of the men. Suddenly, by default, you're an equal, which yeah. is insane and stupid. But that's how I played it and that's how it worked for me. Um, you have to use your tools uh, to your advantage. And I used my, what I used to think was a, was a, something negative, I used it to my advantage and then threw it back in their faces. The adjustments weren't just linked to orchid sexuality. To avoid probable systemic discrimination, she had to make an unexpected change when she was trying to get her media career off the ground after college. When I first started to apply for things, you know, 9-11 had happened, 7-7 had happened. Suddenly, people uh, who were affiliated in any way, shape or form with the Middle East are terrorists. And in the media, all we are are horrible people. And so, therefore, by association, I realised that my name is probably going to be my downfall in the collective consciousness of people because we all know that you know i've heard the stories before i started in the industry that you know if you've got a foreign sounding name the, the chances of you being looked at over someone that's got a smith or a johnson or a thompson name are, are you know the the chances of that happening are a lot, a lot more slimmer than you know if you had a, a name that was a bit more anglified i dropped the accents in the name so that if you read it just as it is in english it just sounds like a, a name, just a regular name. And then if people ask me, I just go, oh, I'm not sure. I think it's from France or some shit like that. But I felt ashamed because I shouldn't have to do that. It's my name. That's my the name that I was given. And it's a good name. And it, I come from a good family and I come from a good line of people. I also know that it doesn't matter what the fuck I feel because at the end of the day, that's not going to get me a job. Um, and I'm aware that the people that are also hiring me probably don't have that name either. Prejudice against ethnic-sounding names forced Orchid to choose between her identity and her success. Do I know that if it was because I changed my name, I think it definitely helped because I think it was just smart. I just think it was, um, you know, on my part, even though it was shameful, it was quite a smart thing to do. As I'm older now, the name is back and the accents are on the on the eyes and, and all that sort of stuff. Like, it's, uh, I'm proud of my name, I always have been. It's a shame that in order to get your foot in the door, you have to again... I have to compromise and lie in order to fit a certain type so that someone will look at you like one of them. Throughout Orchid's career, the challenges have continued. Explicitly or not, misogyny is commonplace in media. Orchid recalls one particular occasion when a friend and colleague experienced sexual harassment at work. We were working towards um, a film premiere for a film that they were releasing. And she'd worked very closely with one member of staff who was the head of a particular department. She worked incredibly hard and did a hell of a lot to get this done successfully. On the night that it was all done and dusted, he propositioned her in a way that made her feel incredibly uncomfortable incredibly sad and he overstepped many many marks and took advantage of her trust to try and take advantage of her um, she being the strong woman that she is 
wasn't having any of it. She came to me and showed me some of the messages that he had sent her because he was also doing this whilst there were other people around as well. And she didn't know what to do. She was worried about how it was going to impact her and if she would ever be able to work for this company again if she had told. And that is that story is a dime a dozen story. And I know that she didn't tell. And I think in retrospect, it's a, it's a shame, but I know why she didn't. That man has gone on to a very high position in another bigger film company, and he's a piece of shit. Why didn't her friend tell anyone? Was there even a safe space for reporting these incidents? No. No. Because also there is a conspiracy of silence as well, because these men who are at the top, they just hire people that look like them, that reflect them. So it's just more people like them. And then they look after each other. And so as a female, you're already on the back foot for being a female. You are then exploited or um, taken advantage of by these men. And who'd you go to, another man? He's one of the boys and say, oh, sorry, one of your boys is being inappropriate. Are they going to put her first or are they going to watch out for their needs because it also reflects them? And there's always been that fear and fear has a huge place, especially in the film industry. Hearing and seeing incidents like this is sickening. Your heart sinks and the sense of disappointment is overwhelming. Anger rises and despair is something we are all often left with. We wondered if Orchid had ever got to the point where she was ready to throw in the towel in terms of her career in media. So there was one time I was working on a show um, and the um, series producer who was notorious for just being a bully and an unpleasant man at the best of times also was openly transphobic as well um, and would also tend to call people snowflakes if they said to him, can you please not say that in front of other people? He was looking for something. He was looking for a script that he couldn't find. I'm on set, I'm running around, and he's running around shouting at everyone, being unpleasant, making everyone feel like crap, as per every Friday. And he's looking for a script that I was meant to have printed out for him, which I had printed out for him whilst I'm also going around doing a thousand other things because I'm the only production person there. And during that time, he was looking for a script. Where's my script? Where's my script? It's right over there. Please, it's right there. Uh, Where is it? I can't see it. It's right there. And I'm running around doing other things and he's saying, where the fuck is it? And I'm saying, it's right fucking there. If you can, you can see it, it's right there. And then he just points his finger at me, gets right in my face and in front of my entire team so tells me to shut the fuck up. And, and also the three male writers saw this, but then also said they didn't see it. So then I go, okay, drop everything. Fuck him and fuck this and fuck everyone. Threw my stuff on the floor and just went, cool. Walked out, stormed out, went to my, the only other female that worked on the show, which was the assistant producer, told her I was off. She was like, what happened? And I go, I'll give you a guess who the hell said what? And she said, okay, cool down and talk to me. Went downstairs, called the uh, managing director of the company, said, this is my last day. He said, why? And I said, I think you know why. This is a problem we've had for a really long time. He said, okay, he was going to come over. Went back upstairs. The host of the show was also the co-owner of the company. Told him what had happened. And I said, you need to fucking do something about it or I'm off. 
And then I went for a very long walk. And then at the end, he was forced to apologize to me. I told him never ever speak to me like that ever again. And it, again, it's the same thing of, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry you feel that way. You know, your feelings, your feelings, your feelings. There are so many things that happen in our lives which shape the people we are today. Things that hurt, things that leave us feeling compromised, things that are confusing. Now, as a full-fledged adult who drinks way too much coffee and uses a minimum of four curses per sentence, how has Orchid dealt with the psychological toll of her life experiences? Therapy helps a hell of a lot. It's very expensive, but it's see it as an investment if you can, because you as a human being internalize so much and like I didn't really speak about any of this stuff to anybody even my family sounding off to somebody who is just there to listen and to advise you understand and your your mind opens up and you it's triggering as well but you you unlock a lot of trauma and you learn a lot from that and then at the end of it someone who's a professional tells you that what you really wanted to hear and what you kind of knew already but didn't hear enough which is that you're okay and that you're fine you're not a monster like they made you feel you were in order to fit in and all we're trying to do when we're children is fit in and the irony is then we spend the rest of our lives trying to be individuals but there are some cases where if our livelihoods are at stake, then you have to do what you can to survive. And some people, and I don't begrudge them for it, some people's survival techniques are to just kind of hide from it or to hide aspects of themselves from people. But it's unhealthy and it shouldn't be the way it is. And so, and I certainly had done that for long enough, you know, especially my things that happened at school, for example. Those things were all locked and blocked and done. Like, I didn't want to revisit any of that. But it's amazing how, from that age, it shapes everything in your life. And also, you see the themes that happen then are also things that happen throughout your life, and not only to you, to other people. You know, being marginalised for being different is still happening at the age of 35. But, you know, I see that... It, you know, happening to myself. I see that happening to my peers. I see that happening to people who are younger than me. I see it happening to younger kids who I've never met. I, I fully recommend doing therapy. I also will tell you it's going to suck. Um, you are going to have some really tough times. Like even talking now, this is like a kind of therapy because I'm talking to you about things that I, I've told maybe five people in my life. Perhaps it was the experiences that Orchid went through, combined with being brought up by an incredibly strong woman and a determined dad, which gave her the strength and power to not hold back anymore. The minute you do that to me, the minute you go and you cross that line, then all bets are off. And I don't literally give a shit what happens next because I will go to your boss and I will go to that boss and I will go to anybody that will listen and tell them what you did because I am absolutely 100% sure in my convictions that everything you just said to me was fucked up and wrong and I did literally nothing to deserve that. So if I'm confident enough in my convictions that that is the case, then you're fucked, I'm going. And I'm going to tell everybody along the way because no, no one should be in an environment and I'm sick of hearing about it and I'm sick of being in it where you're being told off by an arsehole or you're made to feel like shit every day, bullied every day by somebody who 
has no right to even be there. There are plenty of people out there that can do his job better and be a better person about it as well. What does the colour of your skin have to do with whether you're good at your job? It's fucking, it's a job. As the saying goes, time is up. But what advice would Orchid give to others? Do not ever be afraid to stick up for yourself. You know what, if you're afraid of losing that job, then that job is not a job anyone should be having. I know that there's so much at stake because we all have bills to pay. We're worried about our careers. We're worried about what people are going to say. But honestly, if you've done nothing wrong, then you have to walk away from something like that. Some toxic bullshit like that. You know, it's it, you have a life to live. And if your life is miserable because of one human being and one job, no. Orchid sees that change needs to happen in media and calls for systemic change change that will finally provide equality and opportunity for all. Well, I mean, the conversation's already started, and I think that's a big point, that people are talking about it more than they ever have been before. There is more pressure on companies to really rethink how they think and how they look at things. I I just don't understand what's so hard about it. There needs to be a fundamental change but it has to be that you've got to change the colour of the mirror at the top and you've got to be able to have more opportunities for people at the bottom and then the middle works itself out if we want fairness and fairness in opportunity then you have to give the opportunities not just sort of pass them out as party favours so that you can tick a quota so people won't like have a go at you on Twitter instead of just set, putting out a press release saying you don't condone any of this shit which you shouldn't anyway just hire more people that are just reflective of these specific visions you have or you claim to have just look at the way you think if you want your company to just be some white company then you've got a problem like it, it, you want to you want something that a workplace that bet especially in in television film and media that best reflects your audience and the people that you're speaking to then you have to change like you've got to just change how it's reflected you need to change who you let in and maybe stop letting just the same old people get get their way is it getting better i'm seeing a lot more openly gay people be very openly gay in the workplace i am seeing more people of different ethnicities Not as much as there should be, but I am seeing that as a change. The last job I did, apart from maybe two departments, every department head was a woman. It was one of the most diverse crews and teams I've ever worked with, had the pleasure of working with. You know, there were two lesbians like in charge. I mean, it was myself and the producer was gay. We had lots of of women of of colour and all there and lots of... Lots of people from different ethnicities just working harmoniously together. And guess what? It can happen. And we got the job done and it was great. And the colour of their skin or their religion played absolutely no part in any of it. Because it's a perception. That's all it is. What stands out from Orchid's story is that you need to play the card you're dealt like they were the card you wanted. You need to go on a journey to connect the dots. We hope that Orchid's final words give you the inspiration to change the narrative of your journey in media. Don't use your sexuality and your gender as a weapon. Wear it as a badge of honour. Wear your scars as medals. Just keep not caring about 
the color of people's skin and the religion that they are and just look at look at everybody as a fucking human being and fight their corner when they need it to be fought and don't be afraid of the repercussions of being a good person. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Naked Stories. This show was edited by Michael Kalizinski. Sound designed by Anton Borove. Produced by Anna Zergic, Jessica Lapsiwala and Tom Viskoski. Narratives written by Jessica Lapsiwala and myself, Roses Okipo. See you in the next episode for more non-filtered stories. For now, ciao bella. <laughs>